we have a quote in our offensive room where our system's not our system until our players understand it. And we can say what our system is, but if they don't go do it on Saturdays, it's not our system. Our guest today is Caleb Coral, offensive coordinator at Mount St. Joseph University. He's entering his seventh season as the offensive coordinator after serving as the Mount quarterbacks coach from 2015 to 2016. In Coach Quarrel's six seasons as the offensive coordinator, the Lions have averaged 41.45 points per game and just over 460 yards per contest. The offense has shattered the record books at the Mount. Under Coach Quarrel, the Lions were one of the nation's top offensive units in 2023. The Lions finished third in total offense, averaging 552.5 yards per game and second in scoring offense, averaging 55.4 points per game both of which were new Mount St. Joseph records. Offensively, they were as balanced as any team in the country, finishing 9th nationally in passing offense and 17th in rushing offense. Under the tutelage of Coach Coral, Mount St. Joseph quarterback Josh Taylor finished as the nation's leader in passing touchdowns with 46 and was a semifinalist for the Gagliardi Trophy. Coach Coral's unit has been a big reason for the Lions' recent run of success, that includes a 19-3 record back-to-back HCAC titles and back-to-back playoff appearances over the past two seasons. Here's some notable national statistical rankings for the Lions offense. Number two, scoring offense. Number three, total offense. Number four, first down offense. Number five, third down offense. Number nine, passing offense. Number 17, rushing offense. And number 18, red zone offense. For his efforts, he was recognized by Hanson Ratings as the 2023 National Offensive Coordinator of the Year. We dig into his approach to learning and evolving as a coach, teaching, and building relationships, and some of the components that make the Lions offense one of the best in the country, like their option routes, the RPO, and condensed sets. Stay tuned for our winning edge takeaways at the end of the interview and information on the Coach and Coordinator D3 Top 25 Clinic, at which Coach Coral will be presenting. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, 
premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Rays has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalrays.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. On today's episode, we're going to look at a top-performing offense that has a history of success, not just this past season, but over the course of this coach's tenure at this school. And we're going to get into things like post-snap route adjustments, RPO, condensed sets, and really talk about the teaching and learning behind the game that's so important for coaches to be successful in whatever it is they do in this profession. And joining me to discuss all of those things is the offensive coordinator at Mount St. Joseph, Caleb Coral. Caleb, it's great to have you here on the podcast and discuss all the things we're going to get into today. Yeah, really excited to be here. Uh, as we talked about off air, uh, have listened to the show for a long time, have taught myself a lot of concepts and leadership things through your podcast. So it's just really cool to actually be on here today. Yeah, we shared some pretty cool stats in the introduction, things that you've been able to accomplish. And for, I think, any coordinator to say over a six-year period that you average 460 yards per game, you average over 41 points per game, I think anybody would take those numbers and so on the surface level, those things are great, but there's so much behind it, beyond the X's and O's. And I, I think, as you pointed out before we got going, a lot of this starts with a passion to teach and learn, and then also make sure that you're always connecting in the players because the relationships, the people are what make anything go. You know, certainly that's true in football, but we'd love to talk to you about that philosophy you have behind everything you do here that you know, really starts first for you, as you told me, with this genuine curiosity learning. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's something that's grown over the years. I've always had a, a passion for football. My dad was a high school head football coach for many years. I grew up on a sideline, so I naturally got to be around the thrill of that and seeing how he operated. And obviously, when you're a kid, it doesn't necessarily re revolve around the scheme part of things. But as I've gotten into this, one of the things that I really believe in is I want to catch up to those that are ahead of me and I want to stay ahead of those that, you know, maybe I've passed. And I think a lot of that comes to learning. And I just have this, you know, genuine curiosity for the game of football, trying to learn as much as I can. I always tell myself I want to learn everything that I don't know about the game. So a lot of times, you know, I'll study things that I know that we're not necessarily even going to utilize just based on where we're at. But it's just to learn and to listen and hear how people present so I've really grown accustomed to trying to find as many different ways as possible. Your podcast is one of them of just continuously learning, continuously evolving so that we can uh, stay ahead of competition and, and uh, elsewhere. Yeah, I have to ask you, with that learning, for me, growing up as a coach, really the only method I had to record all that stuff is notebooks. And for whatever reason, I, it's probably because it represents all the work I did. I still have those boxes and boxes and boxes of notebooks. And I'm not kidding. I mean, I've filled so many notebooks over the years. Yeah. I never, never necessarily had a great way of, you know, cataloging that. I think technology makes it easier, but there's so much out there now that's changed too. Uh, it used to be whatever was in American Football Monthly and whatever, you know, you could afford to buy off the rack at a clinic from uh, Doc Peterson at Coach's Choice, yep. right? We have all kinds of things with all the things we do with the virtual clinics. We have one, you know, coming up for uh, top 25 D3 football coaches that you'll be a part of, but uh, Lawrence first and goal, et cetera, et cetera. All the information's out there. So for you, 
somebody who has that genuine curiosity is always looking to learn what's the filters, how do you start to organize that, all that information so it does become useful for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm probably more similar to you in that I have um, a couple different methods, but I think um, my my favorite one is, is um, you know, my wife bought me one of those notebooks where you can kind of just carry that thing around. And what I've done is each calendar year from January 1 to December 31st, I'll keep any type of interaction I have with a coach, ideas I have when I'm sitting on my couch, meetings that, that our head coach may have, I'll keep everything in there. And obviously it's not going to be categorized to where, you know, I don't break it down by chapters, but to me, it's that, that year in learning where I can go back and look at where I started, where I finished, how things evolved throughout the year for me personally. And usually I do a pretty good job of, of remembering where I got a certain idea, so I'll know if it's in that you know specific year. But I've done that. Um, I'll have a separate legal pad for when we're in season and breaking down opponents and things like that. That I'll know where to get to, and then have tried to you know I'm relatively young, but I'm just good enough with technology. So doing the the Google drives and all those different types of things, I'm I'm collecting all the you know subscribing to all the all 22 places. So I'm doing a better job of really having that presence on you know the drive type of things but I carry that notebook and that will go with me uh, like I said it's with me right now it'll be with me uh, anything we do this afternoon and that's kind of how I keep together my thoughts and I like to look at it by a year-to-year basis so learning is the input for all of this and allows us to evolve and become who we are as coaches teaching is the output and I know that's important to you as I mentioned as well so talk to us about your philosophy on teaching and what it means to you to be a good teacher of the game. Yeah, that's great. So uh, like I said, my dad was a teacher, high school football coach, became an administrator. My wife's a teacher, surrounded by a lot of educators uh, in my life. I actually have a secondary English education degree, so teaching is in my background. And to me, I always one of the things that I've always noticed, even when I was playing or not in the coordinator role, that I'd always be drawn to how people teach. Sometimes, you know, throughout this, you learn maybe how not to teach it. And I think a lot of it for me is the way to connect, you know, if we're talking about football, how do you connect it to things that, you know, these kids might understand if they're not in the game, like, like we are as coaches. And so a lot of times, you know, I'll try to connect it to other sports. Um, I'll try to connect the dots to, you know, if you're talking leadership or philosophy to, you know, history or things like that. But I love trying to tie in, you know, if we were recruiting a basketball player, I'm going to try to bring a lot of what we're teaching back to basketball as much as possible. And I think it's, you know, really also getting the feedback from your kids of understanding that, you know, asking them the questions as to how they're retaining information without just putting them on the spot as, do you know what we're doing? Like yesterday, I sent my assistant coaches a, a screenshot of a defensive look versus one of our empty sets. And I said, what would you call in this to each of our assistants? And I wanted to just see their line of thinking and the responses came back and they're all really detailed. But the coolest thing is it really matched what was in my mind for what I think we should do in that situation. So to me, that kind of ties in how I'm doing as a teacher, where they're at in the process. And then it's just a day-to-day feedbacks, you know, loop that you want to try to get from whoever it is you're trying to teach. But I love, I'm the guy that loves training camp. I love it because that's when you're building your club. You get to be around the guys, you get to be around your coaches, you're talking ball, you're getting to know these guys and you're really diving down to the deepest 
details of the game. So that's it. I just, I really enjoy that part of the process of just teaching the game. It's become second nature to me in, in the best possible way. We sit in our offices and, you know, scribble on new pads and draw stuff up on the board. And this impactful quote, Jim Trestle said it in 2000, somewhere around 2000, I believe, in his, his first clinic talk as the Ohio State football head coach. And it was a quote from Albert Einstein, concern for, for man himself and his fate must always constitute the chief objective of all technical endeavors. Never forget this in the midst of diagrams and equations. And I thought this is, that's football coaching. Cause all of those yeah. things, like you said, it comes to life in camp and that's where it's dynamic. And, and you start to see how those people really fit into it. And, you know, it becomes, my opinion, this is a two-way street. Like, you still need to be learning from your players as you're teaching. It can't just be top-down. It has to be bottom-up as well and peer-to-peer. So the relationships become a tremendous part of this and enable this to really come to life. Talk to us about your philosophy on building those relationships. Yeah, that's that's a great tie-in to how this all plays out. And that's how I always think about it is, you know, once you have the scheme – you have the way that you want to teach it. Then you have to understand that this is a, like you said, it's dynamic, that these are, you know, humans with emotions and thoughts and, and they all want, you know, everyone's trying to find their, their, their place in whatever organization that you're operating in. So I think that what I often try to do, obviously in the recruiting processes is it takes place, but is genuinely getting to understand what motivates the guys that we are around as well as, you know, learning styles, what type of football acumen they're coming in with so I can then understand how to adjust the teaching as necessary. Because I've always thought that we have a quote in our offensive room where our system's not our system until our players understand it. And we can say what our system is, but if they don't go do it on Saturdays, it's not our system. And I think that all ties back to meeting your players where they're at and being able to adjust accordingly to what they need. And I think that also ties ties into the relationship aspect. At any sports program, everybody wants to play. So being able to create roles and define what those roles are and how they're important to the overall success of the operation, I think all plays a part into the teaching of the scheme because, like you said, the drawing on the whiteboard is one thing, but dynamically being able to pull that off while also working towards a similar collective goal, I think, to me, that's all relationship-based. I'm going to try to get down to the foundation of what makes people operate and also show them that I'm human as well. You know, I mean, I have my falls. I'll have, I have weaknesses. There'll be days where I don't think I do my best and I'll make sure that I alert guys that, hey, that wasn't my best. I'm going to make sure I do better. And it's hard for some of us to do, but being able to say you're sorry or apologize for something that you didn't think was done appropriately. I think all of that ties into the relationship piece where your players, your assistant coaches just understand you to be a genuine person who actually does care about them and not just the result that happens on Saturday. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, 
six-time Texas State champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com demo and mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. Getting into your high-performing offense, uh, as I said, this is something I, I was excited with the numbers you put up, not just this past year, but when I was able to take a look at a statistic of what you've done over seven years. Yep. So there's some features, and I'm sure this has evolved over time, but at least features right now that are important to your offense. We want to talk about three of those being the, the post-snap route adjustments, and the way that you utilize RPO, and then condensed sets. So I think there's some really good tools within there really for any team, regardless of what system you run, but post-snap route adjustments, I think are a tremendous way to be able to, to be right, right? Just like the yeah. RPO. We're going to call the perfect play by calling an RPO. Well, post-snap route adjustments, taught right, done right, it doesn't really matter what they're running against you, but that's not an easy thing to do. You do have to spend a lot of time on task with those. Yep. Uh, you watch, you know, I could, I could just think back to some from this past weekend, you know, oh, yeah. routes, the, the sloppy two things that you run. We'd love to hear one, why you feel it's important to include these types of things in an offense. And then we'll get a little bit into the, the details behind how you guys are successful with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I often tell our guys that, A, I want players to have ownership and freedom within our operation. I think that's critical to getting buy-in, to getting them really excited about what's going on. And oftentimes I'll describe on the on the ground level of what we're doing is if you're playing a game of pickup ball and somebody's overplaying you on the wing, what are you going to do? And 99% of kids will say backdoor cut. And so that's the mindset of the offense to where we run the same pass schemes as everybody, but what I tell guys is that we're going to have various adjustments that are going to allow us, as you said, to be right, to adjust to different match patterns and coverages and things like that. I really believe that the number one, uh, I don't know if it's a critique, but hesitation I get from everybody that I present this to at all levels is what happens if the quarterback sees one thing and the receiver does another? And, I, and they said, how do you prevent that? And I said, what I'll tell them is, you got to practice it. You got to be about it. You can't be afraid of those miscues or different adjustments that may happen. And, and that goes back to how we teach it. You know what I mean? I think that we'll bring the quarterbacks and receivers in the room together as many times as possible and allow those kids to communicate amongst themselves what they're seeing. And oftentimes the players will come up with adjustments that maybe we hadn't thought of or maybe we didn't think they were ready for. And they say, hey, coach, if they're playing a nail down quarter safety when I'm trying to run this bender route, can I stem them, you know, across his face and take them vertical? And we're like, does everyone agree with that? And if the players agree, it's like, OK, that's going to be one of our route adjustments off our off our bender concept. So I've been a, doing this for five or six years. I've tried to convince a lot of people. I know some. there's a lot of people that do it, but a lot of people don't want to do it. But I think that it really gets the kids to believe that they have a part in deciding what's going on. I really think that that's a big piece of it. And, you know, one of the guys that I've from your show that I've followed and I got to talk to um, was Coach Herring down in Georgia, who does all this stuff. Like he's the guy that I've, I've read everything that he's done. And 
it was it's just cool to hear someone speak the same type of lingo that I have in my head where it's not really a common thing for a lot of programs, you know, that necessarily that, that I'm involved with or, or get to talk to. Yeah, Jaws does a tremendous job with these and and taught me sloppy and dodge, as he calls it, or some yep. people refer to it as juke. Kind of yep. those things are very similar. There's some a little bit different in how you could do those things, but tremendous tools to get guys open and to get the ball out quickly. And that's when a lot of people look at it, like it doesn't mean your quarterback's sitting back there and hanging onto the ball for a longer period of time that there's things that in the way you teach it, indicators that they look for that they can understand both by what's happening on the defense, but also in the demeanor of that receiver on where he's going. would love to hear just in general, how you, Teach some of those things and and what you're getting your players to look at so they recognize those and especially your quarterback can execute and get the ball to where he needs. Absolutely. So we'll, you know, we break each of our concepts that fall into those type of categories into their own separate category as far as, you know, are we working a, a deep choice adjustment? Are we working the stick option concept? Are we working the juke concept? And so there are categories that allow them to understand what the cues are. But a lot of times what we're teaching guys, and I tell coaches that I talk with, is we don't teach all of the defensive. So our defensive coordinator here is really good. He runs a lot of the Saban, Alabama match stuff and has all the different names for the coverage adjustments, right? We don't teach it to that degree. What we teach them are the base coverage reactions of cover one, cover three, cover two, cover four. There's a ton of different ways that those can play out. But when you're on one side of the field, our guys are, you know, that are really aware of that triangle, if you will, of an apex defender, a corner, and then some type of safety. And what I try to break it down to them is there's only so many ways these guys can move, right? And when they move a certain way, it's going to indicate what they're trying to protect and what they're trying to to defend. And so once we kind of break it down where there is a relatively limited number of ways that three guys can interact with each other. Then our whole mindset is, what space are they giving up? How do we attack it? And if they're squeezing space, how do we manipulate open space? And so, like you said, when we're running these, if it's deep, we're going to protect it. If it's quick, we want the ball out of our hands and we're demanding efficiency. Where what I often will tell our guys is, if we are going to run these things as the base of our system, the expectation is for like a quick game, we need this thing humming in the 65, 75% range. It's got to be a completion. So I think that then puts ownership on them to make conscious and confident decisions, get the football out of their hands, you know, and really just get to the core of what the concept is while still giving them the freedom to be creative and how they go about it. And like you said, every kid's different. So we'll run an option drill every day for sloppy where we literally get a coach who squares up a guy they have an inner outbreak they can sit if they get an open space and every kid has a little bit different way they want to do it and we will just rep as many different match looks from that coach you know mimicking the defender as possible and then let these guys win and what i'll tell them to do first is just be natural win how you think you should win and then we coach off of that so we watch each guy some guys are quicker some guys are more powerful and then once we have a feel for how they want to play we start to give them nuggets of how to discover their own ways to uh, beat a wall off the defender or someone that's going to match you up, someone that's going to push to the flat and really squeeze the flat, how to set that up and come back underneath. So it's ever evolving concept. But at the end of the day, the structure of it's the same. We know in stick option, 
If it's a too high structure, we're reading the mic, push the mic tells us if we're going to go to uh, whatever version of stick or we're going to get back to the sloppy. And then we teach our guys how they got to win that to beat the leverage of the defender that they're getting matched by. Now, when you're running any kind of option type of route, it's important that there's a structure built around it that allows for that isolation. So it's not just like, hey, we're going to tag this guy right? as as an option route here. You have to think about how do we protect that area. And then also, I guess the biggest thing is is I'd like to understand is rather than just like what the routes you build around it, but the keys for your quarterback that show them like, hey, on – this particular play, because this guy does this, it's taken away. Even though he may be the guy you're trying to isolate, somebody else gets involved in that. So in, in that regard, things do you do to make sure that you're protecting that option route? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest misnomers of what an option route is, because a lot of times we'll think, you know, people will say, well, we can option them here, but it's all about can you drain out the coverage to actually create the isolation? And that's what we focus on is, We want every route in uh, that particular concept to be activated. So if you can kind of visualize with me, let's say we're in a three by two empty set. Okay, we got three receivers to the right, two to the weak side. The one I think is the best example of this is if you're going to run the new version of a stick that kind of mimics smash where you have an outside hitch, flat control by number one to the three man side, inside fade by two, and then a stick route by number three. And then on the back side, we would have our weak side option to the slot and then a post or a clear out over top. And the way I teach that one, and I think it's beautiful, is, hey, if we have some type of single high structure, we got to work that smash because they're going to add an extra hat in there that no longer allows us to isolate the weak side option. So if we get a cover three reaction where the corner is out of there, we want to bang the hitch. Bang the hitch, take the free space, that's all all day long. If they want to have a man reaction where they're going to nail down on the the flat control, hey, we're throwing inside fade. That's what we want to throw against uh, a lot of cover one teams were thrown inside fade outside there if they maintain a too high structure all right and that's a pre-snap awareness and then a post-snap confirmation we are working the push of the mic to determine can we fit the stick to number three or do we have to go backside to the weak side option and then if we were to get any type of boundary uh roll down from a safety we have that post over top filling that void that one doesn't get thrown as much but it's, it's happened over the years against some of these single high teams and essentially what I like to draw out is, okay, if they stay in too high and they match this all the way out, we have now created the mics push to the stick. The star has pushed to the flat. We've got a corner and a safety over top the inside fade. We've got a corner and a safety over the weak side post. The only guy left in coverage, unless they drop a defense alignment out there, is the will. We've created an isolation. Let's win off him. Let's throw it to him. And so that concept to me is one I often start with because it has cover three, cover one, cover two, cover four and weak side role protection all built into it. And to me, a lot of those answers are relatively normal in how you would carry them out. So like a hitch is, hey, as long as that flat player is not pushing to the hitch, just bang that thing, just take it. So that's the one I use. I love the visual of it because it's like, hey, it's got coverage answers for you. Figure out what they're doing and attack it. And then that's kind of how we would operate that. You know, I learned it from Herring and and, uh, Dan Gonzalez. They call it a range. Read away from Mike, and yep. it does. It'll, I mean, even if you just build, you know, our original use of the Ram read was empty, you know, running yep. one side and running double slant to the other. And where did the mic go? He can't be in both places, right? So yep. now you have a really good inside throw there. Moving on, the RPO, obviously, 
the beginning, everybody wanted to understand what that was. Now I think, you know, there's a lot of things people do to try to take away the RPO. Oh yeah. Still a very good tool and an offense. So for you, what role does the RPO fill in, you know, what are the things you like to do to utilize that? Yeah, that's a great question. And so to me, I think understanding the RPO was a major, you know, focus of mine over the last five years of like, what is an RPO? And so the system that we've really leaned into, two of them I know came from your show, but Coach Deerman, listening to all the stuff that he's done over the years on it, I think he teaches it phenomenally. It's really clean. I love the way that he has you know, he can tie different, you know, reasonings into his wording. You know, he does a really good job with that. I think it's really clean. Coach Moorhead, who's at Akron, I like to to really see what they do. So off of that, what we like to do is we don't do a lot of perimeter screen bubble stuff. We do a lot of RPOs where we are blocking six guys in the core. We can protect C-gap to C-gap, C to shining C, as Coach Dearman would say and then be able to throw the ball down the field. Now, that doesn't mean it's a, a vertical necessarily, but five or more yards down the field. And so what we want to do is be able to have a physical downhill run that has six bodies in the core that will allow us to handle as many fronts as possible, but then have some play, you know, have some routes that tied into so the, the classic glance that if you do connect on it because you're getting an inverted boundary safety, that thing has a chance to really rip for an explosive. And so that's where our mindset comes is we want to define ourselves on the run. I think a lot of people would consider, you know, us at Mount St. Joe was all they do is pass, but we're top 20 in rushing the last two years. And a lot of it was built around this and how I explain it to our players is the pass that's tied onto our RPOs is to protect the numbers at the point of attack. That's all it's doing. Right. And we played with a lot of smaller receivers where, yeah, we can push crack if we need to on a fourth and one. But if my best receiver is five, seven, one sixty, let's see if I can put him on a route, create gravity from the secondary that makes them have to match our route. And then it allows us to have a late fitting alley defender that's th- that gives us the numbers advantage in the box. So that's the way that we've done it. And it's a lot off of Coach Deerman and uh, what Coach Moorhead do. where We're running glances to both sides. You know, we have a couple different combinations that we can do some five step speed outs, getting in formation into the boundary and being able to exploit those extra fitters. But that's the way that we've built it in to where really it's designed to protect the run. And it is not, you know, as some people would do, it's not a PRO It is hey, we want to run this thing until we can't. And then we want to exploit space that's given to us that allows this thing to become explosive with just a single read for the quarterback. Now, with that. A lot of guys have started to look at how RPO ties into play action, because if you throw enough of those routes underneath enough, you have some explosive opportunities. How do you build in and look for that opportunity for, you know, you could call it protecting the RPO, but it's really, it goes back to more of that, why you would use play action type of mentality. Yeah. So what we did last spring is we were doing a run fit period, you know, kind of on air and we were breaking down, showing our guys the RPO system. And basically what the defense had done was they were getting that extra hat in the box, essentially making it a seven man box based on the pre-snap. And what I did was I, as I held it there, I said, what can we do to answer this? And the kids kind of paused for a second. And then, you know, they didn't know if they could quote unquote change the play. They said, we can throw deep choice. We have isolations. I said, Exactly. So what we try to do is 
what gives the run game an advantage, okay, then what reactions are they going to do to try to get that extra hat? How can we answer that within the run? And then once they've shown us their hand, our six-and-a-half, seven-man protection is going to come off deep choice where we're all about creating that vertical isolation, letting our guys decide down the field, and then attacking it. So we honestly teach the RPO system in the deep choice as almost an extension of the series, if you will. So kind of thinking of it as the, my dad was a wing T guy. So the trap, the waggle, trap, buck, waggle, throwback. Well, that's how we've kind of created it where we have um, a strong side run, weak side run. We have a field protection, a, a boundary protection in the RPO game. Once they outnumber us, we got to throw vertical deep choice is going to come into it and it's going to look just like the run play. So that's kind of how we've built it into where it's like, where are the numbers? Do we create isolations? Our kids are very cognizant of finding where isolations are. And that's kind of how we look at the progression of that concept into, as you said, protecting the run slash RPO. Yeah. Elliot, Elliot Ratton and Jason Phillips did a great job with that stuff at yes. Alcorn. About that exact deep choice being something that fits really well to quote unquote, protect the RPO, right? When when people start to have answers for all those things, now they've taken away all that underneath horizontal stuff. It's the opportunity to get over top. So I agree. Yeah, Coach Phillips says that's his name was the one that was slipping me. So I bet this podcast from your show was five, six, your original one. I was driving to a camp in December in Michigan. And I remember I was in Finley, Ohio, and my wife read me the description of that. And it was Coach Phillips. And I listened to I've listened to that podcast probably 10 times because it is exactly like that. What they do and the system, the way they systemize that is elite, in my opinion. They're big time. Yeah. Another another group of guys really doing it well. The other tool is condensed sets. And, yep. you know, guys close, close to your way now at CNX, Andrew Coverdale. You know, he was one of the co-authors of the Bible on the bunch sets. I can't tell you how many times. I've revisited that book and it's still as applicable today as it was in, in the nineties when I found it, but the bunch sets, the condensed sets, I think they do two things in terms of personnel. One, sometimes you don't have, you know, and we've evolved from just the spread error, the 10 personnel stuff, but you know, sometimes you don't have necessarily those guys who are just, let's isolate this guy in space. Now you Correct. start to create space when you squeeze everybody down. And then also, you know, I remember Andrew talking about why he uses more bunt sets is that he's got some guys who they're those tweeners. They're not necessarily the hand and dirt tight end guys, but they can get inside and block and they create some extra gaps. So a ton of advantages that can be had with condensed sets and, and something you've been doing for three or four years now. Yeah, and exactly where you're taking it. And so the first reason we did it, A, we saw the Rams doing it. We're, we're got a lot of Bengals fans here on our staff being in Cincinnati. So we saw them in the playoffs, you know, firsthand and just watched them operate. And I think Coach uh, Gerbino, too, who yeah. was up at Utica, he did a lot of what his process on it was a lot of ours. Was how can we take base concepts and make them more. And so obviously condensing was one, but the reason we really leaned into it was your first point. We were playing with four slot receivers. We didn't have those true X's that we wanted taken on, you know, those boundary corners, as we mentioned off air, like the kid that was at Baldwin Wallace. I mean, he's a 53 man roster NFL kid. Like if we're just going to run directly at him, this kid's going to guard us all day. So what we wanted to do was, Hey, how can we make all four of these receivers slots? Okay. Bring them in. They're all four slots. They can go in, out, across, 
underneath vertical. They can do everything. So that was one. And then I, I think naturally the second point you made was another thing that we did where we don't really play with true tight ends, but we always play in some form of 11 personnel where we have these guys that can attach to the box. They can add on to the blocking scheme. They can add, you know, block into the alley. And so that's a big piece. And the third thing I'd say is, and I think it's a lot of, I listened to coach Coverdale's podcast over the summer that you had with him was we get relatively base coverage reactions and defensive structures out of this to where there's a couple newer things in the bunch, but I mean, bunch checks are bunch checks. And once you decode what those are and then what a team's going to do, okay, now you know how they're going to play you. And there's only so many, and a lot of teams usually only carry one, maybe two, but from the teams that we're going against, not enough teams are going to carry bunch enough for teams that have two checks. So now it's just like how it used to be an empty where it's like, hey, they're going to blitz you or cover you. Let's figure out which one they're going to do and let's exploit it. That's the same thing I see with this condensed stuff is they're going to really base out their defense as far as how they're going to align and what they're going to do off of it, which then kind of goes back into a teach our kids the coverage reactions and then let's exploit this space that's naturally being created by us bringing everybody in to then work out or in or whatever it is we're going to try to do. Yeah, when you're doing the condensed stuff, you hope that you're really good at it, but it doesn't become popular because you want those. I know, man. Yeah. You only have those one or two checks that, I yep. mean, we would find that too. You know, we were using it really and, and no one else in our conference was. And it's just like anything that a team sees one time, they're not going to come up with all these different things and be good at it in a week. Yep. Really limit them to it. But even so, I think it's a comfort level, and most defenses aren't going to add a lot of extra stuff for it. They're going to try to be good at the things they have. So it does you allow you to understand you know, what the reactions you have to have on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm with you. I promote it because I, I know it's good. I think it's one of the better – it's like for, when, when I really discovered formation in the boundary, like what that does, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is incredible. That's what condensed sets did, but I'm with you where it's like, the more that's out there, the more that's going to come with it. But that's how the game, you know, kind of evolves. But, you know, just having it, you know, right now and being able to continue to build it, that's kind of our focus that goes back to that learning aspect where it's like, all right, people are going to, at some point, they're going to have adjustments to it. Let's have the adjustment for the adjustment and be ready to roll. And winding things down, you know, we started with talking about teaching and, and learning. And you look at, look back on your career and where you've been able to progress this through, obviously, you know, just in the way you talked here, uh, giving a lot of people credit for all the things that you've learned. And certainly you've evolved and made some of those things your own, but being able to sustain success in this profession, what do you attribute that to? And what, I guess, what advice could you pass along in that regard? Yeah. It, to me, it's kind of goes back to that, that passion for learning where I think that, uh, one of the best things that ever happened to me was when I first got here, I was like the assistant to the quarterback's coach. I made zero dollars. And as a 24 year old, I thought I was a hot shot. You know what I mean? And what I had to learn was, hey, you're 12th on the totem pole. You got to sit in this offensive room and listen. Like for right reasons, these guys aren't going to you don't need to come up with all these brilliant ideas. Just sit, listen, learn how people process, how people teach, how people view the game. And then take that same mindset. And what I've tried to do, and again, your podcast has been one of the best tools for this, is listen to as many smart people as you can to where you just are filling yourself with knowledge. And again, there'll be things that you're going to take and things that you don't take, but you'll be able to 
continue to add to your own intrigue for the game by just listening to people of all different play styles and levels of coaching to where one of, like we said, one of my favorite guys is Josh Herring, who's, uh, you know, he's happy just being that, you know, high school OC, but he's one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. And so just that mindset of continuously wanting to learn, being curious about how to uh, stay ahead of trends in football. I think all of those things are what has allowed me to evolve myself, but what I would challenge any young coach to do as they want to you know, work their way up in this profession. I think the other important part of this for anyone wanting to make this, this is not an easy profession. You just look at any time a job comes open and it doesn't matter what it pays, you're going to get a hundred plus oh, yeah. to it. At any level, it is those guys who persevere and know that there's going to be bumps in the road that especially early on, it's not going to be easy, but you know, I don't know that it ever gets easier and staying in. It's a very competitive profession, but the guys who make it ultimately just found a way. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, it would all, all, and I have a lot of really, really sharp young guys on our offensive staff right now, as well as our defensive staff. But what I try to continuously provide them with as far as, you know, just um, advice is give yourself a chance, stay in the fight, uh, like you said, this is, you know, we don't do this for notoriety necessarily, and certainly don't do it for money, but there's the guys that have a true passion and urge to be in this game for all the right reasons, whether it's the schematics that can fill your brain for 365 days or the relationships that you create with assistant coaches and players. You know, to me, these guys, and I have to tell myself this a lot is, you know, if this is what you want to do and you have that true passion for it, stay in it, continue to evolve, be where your feet are, attack each day, you know, all those cliches. But there's so many guys that I think are really bright minds that get out of this profession too early. And that's one of the things that the guys that I get to be around and have a chance to talk to them. That's the number one piece of advice I give as I say, hey, man, you got something in this profession, it might take you a couple years, but it will pay off. And that's what kind of I'll tell them is people are starting, you know, as, as you did, you look at the numbers and go, hey, Mount St. Joe's doing something. And what I'll tell people is like, hey, that's a 10 year, quote unquote, overnight success. Like this has taken years of all of the things that we talked about, just leaning into this, you know, getting beat up by some teams, you know, having teams, Nick Davis used to, at Rose Holman used to dial me up, man. He used to embarrass me and like having to learn through that failure and be honest with yourself and how you challenge yourself to get better. That to me is the beauty of it because on the back end, when you get to reflect on it, it's like, look at all of these experiences you had that allowed you to get to where you are currently. So that would be the biggest thing is just stay in it, man. Yeah, well, I really appreciate all the insight you shared here today, giving us a peek into some of the things that you do on offense and some great advice that you've given here to coaches. And uh, again, thank you for your time and certainly best of luck to you and the Lions here in 2024. It's been an honor, Keith. I appreciate you. Here are winningest takeaways and ideas for implementation. One, you evolve as a coach by focusing on deep learning. Coach Coral talked about the ideas he's learned over the course of his career and how those went into evolving the offense that has now become one of the top performing offenses in Division III football year after year. He's learned from coaches directly and indirectly and applied what he has learned to fit his situation, tailoring the concepts to his offensive needs. Two, value teaching. 
We can go out and know every detail of an offense or defense, but if we can't teach it well, then it will never reach its full potential. As Coach Coral said, our system is not a system until the players understand. We have to work tirelessly at perfecting how we teach our systems and concepts to our players and help them to own what we are teaching them. This also means leaving room and creating the opportunity for them to give input into how the offense runs. Three, find tools that can get more out of your concepts. Coach Coral explained how they utilize RPO and how their downfield passing ties into it. They also get more out of their concepts by being able to apply condensed sets. All of these components create stress on a defense when used individually and pairing them together has a synergistic effect that forces the defense to have to prepare for more while at the same time is presented in a way that keeps it simple for the offense, which creates the advantage. As I mentioned, Coach Coral is part of an outstanding lineup of D3 coaches presenting at the inaugural coaching coordinator Top 25 D3 Clinic. The lineup is made up of coaches from the top 25 ranked teams in Division III, including the head coach and coordinators from the national champion SUNY Cortland Red Dragons. It also has statistical leaders from all phases of the game. Go to d3football.coachesclinic.com to register or get the link from a clinic speaker you know as they share in any ticket sales they refer from their link. Follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com. Sign up for our weekly tip sheet, which shares the best ideas from each episode. And follow us on X at Coach K Grabowski.